Hello and welcome to The Resilient Investor with me, David Stevenson. My partner in crime, Sam Ridley, is away for the next couple of weeks, but we will soon be back with an episode looking at value investing and how to buy good quality, cheap stocks at a great price. This week, though, we're going to talk a bit about global equities and how to invest in them in a very diversified, globally diversified way. And to talk about that, I've got Craig Baker, who is the manager at the Alliance Trust Investment Trust. Now, that's probably one of the biggest, certainly one of the longest established global equities investment trusts. And they've got a pretty unique mandate. They work with different underlying fund managers to capture everything from, I don't know, emerging market growth, UK value stocks, all the way through to mega large cap global equities. So Craig is the perfect person to talk a bit about how to build a diversified portfolio of global equities. Anyway, I called up with a couple of weeks ago, and here's our conversation. Craig, um, let's start by talking a bit about equity markets globally, really, where we are at the moment. Now, I know that most investors are told quite rightly, stick with it, stick with the investing for the long term and understand that equities can be, you know, risky and volatile, you know, all the usual caveats. But still, people are always interested in where the markets are at the moment. And we do seem to be at an interesting spot, don't we? Um, there's nervousness about, I think it's fair to say. But markets have done pretty well. C- certain markets have done pretty well. I mean, US stocks done pretty well. Japanese stocks done particularly well. Um, what's your sense? I mean, we can only guess at this, can't we, Greg? So what's your sense, uh, Alliance Trust, of where we are at the moment? Yeah, well, um, you make some good points there. We we are reasonably cautious about markets as we stand today. Um, you know, you just look at where interest rates are. You'd you'd look at it and think uh, a recession is relatively likely at some point. But the markets have been very resilient for some mm, time, and yeah, a number right. of people have been predicting. Yeah, uh, including me, I might point out. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and one of the things we try and do with Alliance Trust is not take big macro views in the portfolio for that very reason. We don't think many people are very good at calling yeah. those things. And so we ensure that stock selection drives everything. However, we do think about where are we uh, in our overall view on markets when we're thinking about the amount of gearing in the portfolio, for yeah. example. And at the moment, we're relatively cautious. And so we're at the lower end of the range on gearing. But and just, to, just to say, gearing means you can basically borrow extra money to invest in equities because you think there's a big opportunity. That's right. So um, most investment trusts will run a little bit of gearing mm. all the time, to be honest. And yeah. at times when they're particularly positive about markets, they'll they'll borrow a bit more yeah. money uh, and put that into, yeah. into the portfolio. It's one of the advantages of an investment yeah. trust, the closed-ended structure, uh, and has actually led to investment trusts typically outperforming mm. open-ended equivalents for 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 partly that reason. But you're low at the moment. We're low at the moment. So uh, we're at uh, about 7% of the portfolio would be b- uh, borrowed and reinvested. Okay. So you're at 107% rather than 100%. Okay. Uh, and whereas, when, when's your maximum been? Uh, well, we typically are in the 7 to 13% range. Oh, okay. We don't take big uh, positions. Now, we can go wider than that. Um, but we wouldn't typically, unless there was a, a very extreme reason to uh, be very fearful or very positive about markets. So after a very big fall or a very, very big uh, rise in in equity markets. Um, so we're at the lower end of the range. Bear in mind that that's the, the amount of borrowing. You do then have some cash in the portfolio yep. that the managers own. So actually, you're really only about 4% okay. to 5% at most uh, uh levered at the current point in time. So we we reflect that in the portfolio. Um, 
But whilst we're cautious from a top-down perspective, actually um, we're finding a lot of stocks in the portfolio that the managers are really excited about, that they've been delivering as a company on the earnings that are expected or actually above what the market was expecting yeah. in earnings. And some of them just haven't seen any market cap yeah. appreciation. The share price hasn't that's gone the, that's up. That's the thing. A lot of people think actually all this uncertainty around inflation is doing you know very high, but actually corporate earnings for a lot of big particularly American, not only, have been doing very well. Yeah, remain very, very robust um, through a lot of this. And so a lot of what we do is challenge the stock pickers in the portfolio around, um, are they owning the kinds of companies that will be able to withstand um, a recessionary environment? And they're very confident about that in a a number of those stocks. That's not to say every stock's going to do well in that environment, of course, but but they are confident that they would uh, weather such a a, a storm. Um, And so... There's lots of stocks that can be pointed at by each of the managers, no matter what style and of investing they've got. How many managers? Because that's, that's it's worth explaining. And oh, just you've got kind of managers beneath you who you pick. You've got particular mandates, so it's a kind of almost a kind of fund of fund approach, almost. That's right. Um, and and they've got different styles, geographies, that kind of stuff. So I mean, wh- wh- have you have you upped the percentages of some managers versus others to express preferences? Uh, yes, and we do that on a on a regular basis. So um, that's primarily um, a rebalancing exercise. Right. So what we try and do is make sure that no big style biases are in the portfolio. Yeah. So we haven't got you know, the value oriented managers um, ending up being a large part, or the growth managers. Yeah. Um, we try and avoid having big country positions relative to the benchmark index, which is the MSCI All Country World Index, which yeah. is market cap of the globe, yeah. essentially. And that includes emerging markets. That includes mm. emerging markets, that's right. And so um, we're mainly rebalancing to ensure stock selections driving everything. However, um, we will um, be, uh, you know, at times thinking about uh, where uh, we're confident um returns are likely to come from over the course of the next few years. And where are you confident the returns will come from in the next couple of years? Yeah, where have you upped it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So a lot of the rebalancing was taking place because growth managers had done incredibly yeah, well going through to um, the start of last year. Uh, and, you know, if we hadn't been taking profits from those managers and rebalancing to the managers that had struggled more, um, we would have ended up with a very big uh, growth bias. And so that was something we were doing. And Obviously, by growth, you most people would understand that as more probably slightly more techie orientated. Yeah, a, a lot of the uh, the growth managers have been overweight. Um, the magnificent seven, as they're <laughs> as they're uh, called at the, the moment, the so tech that the, mega 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 caps. That's right. The the likes of um, Amazon, Apple, yeah. um, Alphabet, or Google's owner, yeah. uh, Meta, th- those uh, Tesla. Nvidia, of uh, and Nvidia. So those kind of stocks have uh, very much driven the market for quite a few years yeah. now. Uh, and so a lot of growth managers will have those types of companies in their portfolio. There'll be other uh, yeah. growth oriented industries that they'll be invested in as well. But but those have, have been very dominant, whereas the more value oriented managers are in uh, other sectors. And so one of the big things has been around the energy sector. And yeah. so you know, value managers that have uh, done well in recent times have been ones that have been invested in energy and value managers that haven't done well 
have not, not been, been invested in energy. energy. And that's really been the, the call for the, the value managers, whereas the growth managers um, have generally done well, but those that have had large positions in those magnificent seven stocks have, have done even so better. So where are you now? What, what Looking forward, what have you shifted those that balance? Interestingly, we're, we're pretty neutral in our position in the Magnificent Seven, for example, mm. whereas uh, we were more underweight for a period of time. Um, now, there's quite a mix within that. Uh, by number, more of the managers are underweight, uh, the Magnificent Seven, having right, seen more them underweight. do what they're, they're, they're significantly underweight, whereas we, we have a couple of managers that are, that are overweight in that space. Uh, GQG is one of the managers we have. quite emerging markets, aren't they? So we've got two portfolios with GQG. Oh, right. So they run a 20-stock best ideas okay. global portfolio. Oh, which includes development uh, world. Uh, yes. And then they have a separate emerging market yeah, portfolio okay. that they manage for us. They are what the one manager in the portfolio that changed the portfolio around more often than the others. The others tend to be very long-term stock pickers, mm-hmm. stick to their style and approach. Uh, whereas GQG, they define, I mean, they're called um, uh global quality growth. That's the GQG element of it. And, but their definition of um, quality growth is all around the stability of the cash flows that they're getting from the companies. Yeah. So they've actually had um, a, a lot of energy stocks uh, as well as a lot of uh, technology stocks. Huh. All right. Okay. Um, Interesting combination. Exactly. So you might more typically see a value manager with with the energy position and yeah. a growth manager more with the tech position. They've had uh, both. But there was a period pre- um, two, three years ago where they were very heavily into the tech stocks, did very well out of them, made a complete shift to energy, oh, right. um, underperformed for a short period of time and then did very well um, through the energy stocks. And more recently, they've been buying back some of the uh, the tech names. That, and is there, ones. I mean, it's, it's difficult to, I suppose, answer this. Is there any one well-known stock that you are, once you look down to the company level, you're quite overweight in? So the overweight positions, um, the biggest overweight positions, Alphabet of the Magnificent Seven, yeah. Alphabet would be the one that we're yeah. very overweight. On the flip side, um, we've had zero or very close to zero in Apple. Oh, really? And zero in Tesla throughout oh, the, really? the whole period. Um, but but significantly overweight Alphabet. Outside of that, um, things like Visa and MasterCard were okay. significantly Never overweight Never going to go away, those two well. companies are. Um, so th- those would be some that I would, yeah. pick out but actually what you tend to find because we've got uh, around 10 managers in the portfolio yeah. you tend to find that we've got a lot of stocks that are only held by one uh, manager and so they tend to be about a one percent position so we don't have very concentrated positions in uh, a small number of stocks you've mentioned their benchmark a few times and uh, the, the benchmark you use is um, lots of acronyms in investment isn't it MSCI, CWI. Um, or the All World Index, yeah. But That's right. um, w- there is, I suppose, the ultimate question is why don't you just buy an ETF, for instance, um, cheaper, although you're pretty cheap, but cheaper, um, and just be done with all worrying about whether or not your managers have got the right idea or the wrong idea, are they overweight this, are they underweight this, just to say to take the risk out of the equation. I suppose a lot of people might think, you know, they put you in a bit of a, a bit of a peer group between do I do an index or do I do an arts trust? How do you answer those people who just say better to go cheaper, take all that manager selection risk out of the equation? Well, look, I, I think ultimately, uh, as a retail investor, putting your money in something that's low cost makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So uh, there's there's no doubt about that. And we've tried to ensure that uh, the Alliance Trust uh, 
OCR, the, the total costs of the trust, is actually pretty low and, and it looks very attractive relative to other multi-manager approaches that, mm. that are out there. Yeah. And indeed looks pretty low relative to single-manager yeah, approaches yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that are out there. So no denying that uh, uh, looking at costs is an important thing that investors should yeah. do. The second piece, though, is to think about what's the actual risk that that matters to you, because is it the tracking error to some index um, or is it um, you're worried about absolute risk? And it's not clear that the passive approach is lower risk than the Alliance Trust portfolio, which has got around 200 stocks where 10 of the world's best stock pickers um, that have got a long track record of of doing this are picking just their 20 best ideas of all of the companies that are out there. They're thinking through multiple issues, um, both the long-term prospects for the company, but also sustainability issues and uh, and the like, which you're not getting that done in a passive approach. And bear in mind that the passive index has ended up becoming very concentrated in a small mm. number of companies. The Magnificent uh, Seven. The Magnificent Seven, <laughs> uh, for example. And it's about the most concentrated it's been in a few yeah, decades. And if you actually look through history, there have been periods where the, the, the index has become quite concentrated. But a decade later, um, mm. those are very rarely the same stocks that are mm. driving the market. And so if you look at it, do you want to be in a passive fund that um, guarantees you're going to have those large positions in a small number of companies? Um, Or do you want to be with um, stock pickers that are thinking through the issues and don't have to be uh, as concentrated as that? As I said, at the moment, we're not particularly underweight. We are a little bit underweight, but we're not particularly underweight uh, those uh, magnificent seven stocks. But there will be a time where we are. Uh, And if if the the investors on our behalf think that um, those look unattractive, then they would have a much lower weighting and you'd be reducing your risk uh, from that concentration perspective. Another alternative approach a lot of investors take is, uh, so effectively, you you could quite easily build an approach where you just say, look, classic 60-40, I'll have 6% equities and I'll have Alliance Trust or, or a passive version thereof and I'll have and I'll have a bond fund, you know, be actively managed or, or passive, and just be d- be done with it. Nice and simple, kind of two st- two fund approach, sixty forty, whatever your mix is. I mean, I'm I'm only labouring that because that's a kind of middle ground. And other people might just go, well, I'm actually going to pick regions, and I'm going to pick styles, which, I, in a sense, that is what you do, yeah. Um, and they just say, no, actually, I think, and and this is true for a lot of investors in the past. They just think that I think Japan is dirt cheap for argument's sake, yeah. And by the way, they were probably right a couple of years ago. Um, but Japan is really good. I don't like emerging markets, yeah. So they might take a regional approach. Or you might go, I like particular styles. I actually much prefer, I'm an all-in, 100% risk kind of person. I'm going to go all-in growth managers. or And I'm not going to do value because value has not done terribly well over the last couple of years. Um what would you say to those investors who think that, that that kind of selection is worth their bother? Well, I think I would say that there are very few investors that I've found over the years that are good at making those calls. They're mm. quite binary calls at times. You, are, know, yeah. um, you know, does equities look attractive or bonds? Yeah, does yeah. Um, does value look attractive or growth? Mm. Uh, does Japan look attractive or the US? There's a limited number of uh, decisions you're making uh, and there's always an element of skill and an element of luck in every yeah. uh, outcome that you get. When you're doing that across picking 
from thousands of companies and you're putting yeah. about 200 of those in a portfolio, ultimately skill will come through, that the luck will even out in, in the positions you make. If you're only making a small number of decisions on a country or a style, um, you could get very unlucky on that. So the general way we look at it is that you can invest with a pure growth investor um, and they'll do very well at times and then they'll do very badly at times. Um, most of the styles will even out over the long term but you'll just get much more volatility if you stick with one of them. Yeah. Uh, and you'll have volatility if you switch between them and you don't get the exact turning points correct, which yeah. most people never will. Yeah. And so we feel that if we pick the best growth managers, the best value managers, um, some that are strong in large cap, some that are strong in uh, mid cap, and we rebalance between them over time, we'll get the same kind of performance outcome as if we just picked the best growth manager or the best value manager over the very long term, but we'll do it with a lot less volatility and pain throughout. And the problem with volatility is that you are feeling the pain and you're um, almost forced to make changes at probably the wrong time. Uh, often you'll be uh, leaving a style or a country just when it's about to change because you felt the pain for too long and don't feel as though you can carry on with that position. So your example in in Japan, Japan may well look cheap today, uh, and we actually would agree, but it's looked cheap for a decade <laughs> plus. Say, yes. um, and you would have been wrong if you'd, yeah, if you'd done that time. for a long, long time. So it's quite easy to say, oh, it was obvious now in hindsight at the start of the year you should have been in Japan. But someone would have said that a decade ago, and mm. you'd have been very wrong for nine years. I just want to pick up on one thing, though. Markets can, I think it was J.M. Keynes who said, markets can stay uh, irrational long and you can say solvent. Um, but, but markets do. We've, again, Robert Schiller, the economist, has sort of talked about the power of narratives being very prevalent, very powerful, and lasting much longer than everybody expects, which in a sense is just a nice posh way of saying that momentum can last a lot longer than everybody thinks. And there is just, I suppose, one argument I have heard, which is just says, you know what, if you're all in for equities, yeah, and you decide equities is your thing, and you're willing to take the risk of equities, and that's why some investors aren't, and they choose bonds as part of their mix. But if you're all in for equities, Actually, by and large, over the last 10, 20 years, just saying I'm going to put everything on the on the red, which is growth, yeah, and tech has done really well, actually, because value has done pretty badly, actually, for a very long period of time. So there, there is an argument saying that that uh, what, where that brings us back to Robert Schiller and that kind of solvency argument is that markets can stay quite irrational. If those of us who, from a fundamental point of view, think, you know, the valuation of NVIDIA is just crazy, yeah. Or pick any stock in the growth pantheon, but actually, it's done all those kind of things have done very well for a very long period of time. And thus, although your approach, which is sound very rational and actually makes sense, it could just miss out, miss out on big secular themes and bull market rallies where favoring a particular style. Because you, like by the way, like many of us, adopt a kind of rational attitude, which is manage risk, manage volatility. What do you say to that kind of, you know? Maybe sometimes rationality is not your best friend in markets. Well, uh, it's a it's a good point, and um, the, the issue with this is that the alternative approach works very well for a, a long period of time until it doesn't, yeah, and then absolutely. it suddenly works very very, very, very badly. badly. <laughs> so, if we look at why growth has done well for a long period of time, we've had an enormously long period yeah. of interest rates just falling forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're in a very different 
environment now. Yeah. That doesn't mean unequivocally growth isn't going to do well, but I certainly wouldn't be extrapolating what the last decade mm. has shown for what I want to invest in for the next decade because interest rates and inflation are in a very different position from where they were at the start of that mm. decade or at any point uh, until the last 12 months. And so um, I would warn against doing that. Now, of course, you know, you don't, when you're running a, a nice balanced portfolio and you're um, outperforming um, the market cap index by a small amount each year, that looks quite dull when yeah. a, a couple of growth managers yeah. are outperforming every year by a lot. <laughs> yeah. But suddenly it doesn't look so daft when 2022 comes along yeah, and yeah. there's a massive rotation in the market. Now, of course, 2023 has seen that flip back, yeah, flip back. but could 2024 be similar to 2022? I don't know. Mm. Um, I feel more confident that over the long term, if I find great stock pickers and put a number of them together that think about the world differently, I'm probably going to do well no matter what the market environment comes at me. I don't have to worry about those big macro things. Um Let's let's look at something like geopolitics. Who realistically is going to be able to predict what's going to happen? Um, a sudden war breaks out. We've seen that happen yeah. in recent times. Um, things that we wouldn't have envisaged, um, you know, not long before that. Those are not things that we can predict. What we can predict is whether a company looks to be able to produce better earnings. We're going to get some of those wrong, but if we're doing that over the course of a couple of hundred um, stocks, get quite confident that good stock pickers can do that. And if we've balanced them such that they're all looking at the world a bit differently, um, that really helps you get a, a much more improved uh, return per unit of risk. Two last very quick questions enough, and then we'll finish. One, you, you sort of got around to it, and we know, I have never find the actually I'll put you on the spot, but what have you increased your exposure to in terms of styles or geographies? Yes. So um, we have uh, increased a little bit the uh, the value bias in, okay, in the portfolio value. as to where it where it was prior to that. Um, a little bit more in um, the, the, the outside of the mega caps and, okay. uh, and down the cap spectrum. But perhaps the biggest change is that we did actually introduce uh, a Japanese equity specialist. Oh, okay. Now, this wasn't um, us taking a view that Japan looks cheap and therefore we want to invest in it. This is actually, we think that there's a massive opportunity for a bottom-up stock picker in Japan that hasn't been the case for some time because of some of the uh, changes that are happening in regulations in that, uh, in that market. Much more corporate governance friendly. Aren't they? Much more corporate governance friendly. And indeed, you've had the Tokyo Stock Exchange yeah. actually pushing companies that have got a price-to-book value of less than one that they have to show what they're doing yeah. to get it up. And so they're actually starting to use cash on the balance sheet appropriately. So, so, so Japan's looking more interesting. So it looks much more interesting. So we've had a manager come in that's a Japanese specialist because a lot of these companies are slightly yeah. away from the mega cap. Yeah. So having someone that speaks the language, the knows research. that market very well, yeah. goes down into the mid cap space rather than just the large cap space. And one very last question, Craig, I borrowed too much time as it is already. I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out and just, work. do you think any sense that, I mean, none of us know, do you think we are heading into a slowdown, a recession, a cataclysm? Where, where, I mean, who knows? I mean, none of us know, do we? Um, what, what, what If you had to yeah, suck your finger, put it in the air. What do you fear? Where's the way? Where, where's the way the wind blowing? Um, so I think our view would be, um, and the reason we're cautious is that we probably would expect to see um, a, a recession. Now it doesn't mean 
a, a cataclysmic event, yeah. as you said. We, we, we're not necessarily predicting that. Mm. We're just thinking that growth has got to tail off a bit from from mm. where it is. Interest rates where they are um, would would suggest that that's the case. Um, as a result, we're cautious on the gearing, but we still think a number of the companies that are in the portfolio can do very well in such an environment. Mm. Um, and um, it also means that there's a lot more uncertainty than normal because mm. you really could have a wide range of things that could happen with such an extreme increase in rates that we've yeah. seen. And as a result, not having a big style bias, geography bias and the like, I think is going to pay dividends and having a pure stock selection driven approach. Uh, and that's really what Alliance Trust is all about. Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you. Thank you.